Man, what a great, great truth. What a great, great truth. We have a great God, and oftentimes we do not take things to Him in prayer the way we ought to. You have your Bibles tonight. Open with me, please, to uh, Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, or I should say that rather, the first proverb, and verse number 24 when you find that. And before you stand, let me give you one other thing. Uh, we, we've started doing something uh, a little different on uh, Tuesday nights back here. Uh, we're writing some letters to our missionaries. Now, we have 70 missionaries that we support on a monthly basis. They're all on the wall out here. And uh, we correspond with them, or I was a pastor, and we keep up with all of that. Uh, but one of the things I think that encourages these missionaries is to get a letter just from someone else. And so we're handwriting some letters and cards, and Miss Ashley Burgess is taking care of that for me back there and keeping all that in order. And if you're interested in doing that, on Tuesday nights you can come and, and we'll eat at 5.30 and then you can sit and write some letters. And by the way, even the children can write letters to the children. And it's really something else for a child, a missionary child, to get a letter from another child. And it's really just a really a good thing. And so if you're interested in any of that at all, we do that on Tuesday nights. Or you can see her and she'll give you a name. You can actually just write it and bring it to her and we'll take care of that. We don't have to do it back there on Tuesday night. If you want to take some home with you and do it and bring it back or your children want to, that'll be fine too. Uh, but uh, just uh, we, we want to work on that. It's really good ministry and, and so uh, just, just food for thought there. If you're interested in that, I'd be glad if you do that. Proverbs uh, 1 and verse 24, when you find that, please stand to your feet. We be pleased out of respect of God's Word. We're going to read through the end of, the, end of this uh, proverb tonight, and then we'll pull something out of that. We're going to read a verse together. Because I have called, and you refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But you have set it not all of my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge... And did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way. And be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them. And the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. I want us to go back to verse number 29. It is the text verse for tonight. And I want us to read that verse together. Are you ready? For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. I want you to notice that last phrase in the last part of that verse that says, and did not choose the fear of the Lord. That's an interesting phrase, and I've entitled this message tonight, Choosing the Fear of the Lord. Choosing the Fear of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you tonight for allowing us to be able to come and have this time that we can be together in thy house. And Lord, what a good day we had today, and 
and Lord, in our Sunday school hour, and then, Lord, in the service time, and now tonight also. Lord, we thank you for our little children, and Lord, their uh, willingness to quote verses and sing, and, and Lord, the blessing it is, uh, I trust not only to us, but to them as well. And then, Father, we've had some, uh, the songs of Zion that have encouraged and challenged our hearts and some fellowship together. And now the bread of life has been broken. And I stand here before thy people in thy house again. And Lord, as I stand here, I am very, very well aware of my inability and my unworthiness. Oh, dear Jesus, once again, I want to ask you to forgive me of my sin. Please cleanse me afresh in you with the blood of Calvary. Oh, God, I pray you do so. Make me a vessel fit for thy service tonight and use me for your glory. Oh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill me with power, that everyone here and listening to the sound of my voice by however means can feel like this message is for them and them alone. Oh, we would pray the lost could be saved, the saved could be encouraged, the backslidden reclaimed, the discouraged encouraged. And above all things, may Jesus Christ be uplifted and glorified. For it is in His precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I begin to think about this particular thing, the fear of the Lord, and begin to look at it. It was just uh, reading uh, the whole book of Proverbs this week, and it just struck me again, that phrase or the thought of the fear of the Lord. We'll look at some of those passages tonight in the book of Proverbs and some other places. But notice here in, in this verse it says, They did not choose the fear of the Lord. That's an interesting thing. They had a choice about it. They said, I'm not going to do that. They had an opportunity and they said, no, I'm going to reject that. And so they did not choose the fear of the Lord. Now before I get into exactly what the fear of the Lord is, I think it's important that we recognize that there are two kinds of fear mentioned in the Word of God. And I want you to open your Bible with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 10. Jesus describes both of these in one verse. And in Matthew chapter 10, in verse number 28, Jesus is uh, speaking to the multitudes, and in this he lists both types of fear. And by the way, uh, fear is a real thing. And um, uh, it, it's something that affects our lives in so many ways. And in Matthew chapter 10, verse number 28, Jesus says this, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now I want you to notice that he separates something out here. There is the fear of man or the fear of the world. And then there is the fear, he's listed here, of God. And he, and he separates those two things out. So there is a worldly fear and there is a godly fear. And, and we see that in this text. Now, by the way, fear is a horrible thing, uh, worldly fear. It is something that will destroy your life. Uh, it has been amazing to me in the last, oh, four, maybe five years, the amount of fear that has been instilled in our society. It really, it, it just, at times, I am just blown away by people that I thought would never live in fear that are living in constant fear. And, and fear is a horrible thing. It's a horrible taskmaster. Now, I want you to, to, to we'll look at this worldly fear and why it's a bad thing. Uh, let, let's look at that first. I want you to go to 2 Timothy chapter 1 with me just a minute. 
And of all the verses, I like this verse. And, and so in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, there, there's a great truth here. Now, this is one of those verses that you, you really ought to uh, sort of underline in your Bible, uh, at least uh, know it's there uh, from time to time. You, you may need to refer back to it. it it's, it's one of these type of verses. And it says this, verse number 7, 1 Timothy 1, 7, uh, 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Now, I, I want you to, to, to focus tonight on, on how God separates something out here. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Now, notice that, that the word spirit there is not capitalized. That's not about the Holy Spirit. That's just talking about the spirit of fear. Uh, there, there's so many uh, times that uh, we, we, we find ourselves living in this, uh, with this spirit of fear. Uh, man, people are afraid of everything and afraid they're uh, going to die. And, and by the way, I understand that to a certain extent. Uh, they're afraid they might die. And every once in a while, if I get someone that's really full of fear and I'm trying to help them and they're just worried about dying, and usually they're worried about dying from all kinds of things, I look at them and say, let me help you just a minute. And they say, yes, sir, how's that? And I say, you are going to die. That really helps them. And I'm trying to help you with something. <laughs> you don't think so, but I am. I'm trying to help you with something. One of these days, we're all going to die. And the only thing we can do about that death is just be ready for it and just have our life in the hands of God and know we're going to die. Now, if I live in the fear that everything about me is, is, is going to attack me and kill me and destroy me, then I am not living the life that God wants me to live. Now, now go back to the verse once you notice it. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, watch this, but of power and of a sound uh, and of love and of a sound mind. You see, fear will cause you to have, uh, first of all, you, you won't have much power to live by. Just the fear will control you. The fear of whatever it is. Uh, and, and I could spend a lot of time here tonight, but uh, I think one of the, for me, on a personal basis, one of the best examples is a fear of, of storms. And I've said this before here, so it's nothing new from this pulpit, but as a little child, I had a great fear of storms. I remember that. I, I, I don't know, I was three, maybe four years old, the oldest. And, and, and there, a storm would be one of these things that would just sort of tear me up. And I can very distinctly remember my dad, during a thunderstorm, taking me outside and holding me in the middle of it. Now, I recognize that's not what some folks would think is a good thing, but it's a good thing. He held me in the middle of it, and he said, this will not hurt you. There is no reason to be afraid of it. And he held me there till it was over. And he talked to me. And encourage me. And from that day to this, I have no fear of storms. Because I learned the great truth. God, God didn't give me that fear. I can respect something. I, I can look at it and say, you know, I might need to, uh, you know, not be out on a boat in the middle of a lake during the thunderstorm. That might not be real wise. Uh, but I'm afraid of it. If I needed to be out there, I'd be out there. And there's great truth in that also. And, and, and I see people afraid of all kinds of things. And, they're, they're, and it controls their lives. 
they're, they're afraid of all kinds of weather things. I, my, my. It's just unbelievable. You can respect it, but live in fear of it? I mean, you got to go through this stuff. There's fear of all kinds of things in life, and that causes you to lose the power to live. It, it'll, it'll affect the love of life. And by the way, the sound mind, you make people, when you're in fear, you make crazy decisions. Very crazy decisions. God didn't give you that. Now let's look at something else about what fear of the world does. And I want you to notice this. Go with me, uh, if you will, uh, to um, uh, 1 John chapter 4 and um, uh, verse number 18. I want you to see something else about fear. Fear is one of these things that, needs to be, that you need to give to God and trust God with your life and trust God with with uh, what's going on, and just let Him give you peace and contentment that it is okay. But I want you to know something else about fear, what the Bible says about it. Verse number 18, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now, I recognize that this is talking about the, the things of God, but notice this little phrase, fear hath torment. And whenever I get afraid of something, and I'm making decisions based on fear, that is a torment. It is a torment that will absolutely follow me around and take away the joy and peace of my life. And the love of God cast that out. I have to learn to cast all my care upon Him for He cares for me. And so one of the things that God expects us to do is recognize that the fear of the world and fear of things that could happen, didn't. That, that's not what God wants me to live in. He didn't give me the spirit of fear. He didn't give you the spirit of fear. But of, He gave us the, the, the spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. So how does that mesh with our text about choosing the fear of the Lord? So go back to you, if you will, then to Proverbs 1, 29. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Now what is the difference then? If God hasn't given me the spirit of fear, and He hasn't, and if fear has torment, and it does, then is this a contradiction? Or is it paradoxical. No, it isn't. So how does, what is the fear of the Lord and, and what does it mean? What does God expect me to choose? Alright? You're in Proverbs 1. Now look over in verse number 7. I want you to begin to see the difference. We're going to get a biblical definition here of what it means to fear the Lord. Verse number 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. There is no real knowledge until there is first a fear of Almighty God. One of the problems that we have today in, in, in all of the educational system is we've, we've eliminated God from a lot of it in our public education. And there is no fear of God. There's no mention of God. And He has been completely eliminated from it. And, and as a result of that, uh, it looks like it's wise, but there's, there's a lot of lacking in it. By the way, uh, we've had uh, Dr. Matthew Whiteside here uh, uh, several times now already. 
Dr. Whiteside's a world-renowned nanoscientist. He's a genius. He holds patents and nanoscientists. And I was talking to uh, him the other day, some stuff they're working on now that's just, I can't even grasp the, the intelligence of what he's into. But at one point he was an atheist in his life. And he was an atheist until just a few years ago, actually. And God got a hold of, his, got a hold of him, and he got born again in, in, a, in an instant. And it changed his whole outlook intellectually on the world. And it, it caused everything to fit and come together. And gave him more wisdom of science and understanding of things than whenever he lived as an atheist. And, and, by, and by the way, we're, we're, I'm not talking about somebody like me that just uh, barely got out of high school. <laughs> we're talking about somebody that's got the ability, the God-given ability to have a lot of wisdom. And he will tell you that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And unless you have God in the front of it, and you understand that God is the creator, and that God is the one that, that, that puts it all together, keeps it together, and by the way, when he's done with it, God would be the one to take it out, and there's no fear of God, you'll never really have the knowledge that is complete. And so when I say, when the Bible says they did not choose the fear of the Lord, they didn't, number one, choose knowledge. They decided they didn't need God, they didn't need God's wisdom, they didn't need God's teaching, and they did not choose the knowledge of God because they did not choose the fear of God. Now then, when you go with me to Psalm 19, the 19th Psalm, and I want you to see something else about fear. And we're just sort of getting a biblical definition of the fear of the Lord. Uh, we, we don't need the fear of the world. It, 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 it'll take away your... Uh, it has torment. It'll destroy you. But we do need the fear of the Lord. And if I'm going to have the knowledge to live by, and I'm going to have the knowledge to do what God wants me to do, I've got to have the fear of the Lord. What is that? And so you find in uh, Psalm 19, and in Psalm 19, we'll uh, begin reading uh, there in verse number 9, Psalm 19, verse 9. Now watch this little phrase. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Now here we find that God's tying something together with the fear of the Lord. First of all, he says the fear of the Lord is clean. And by the way, that separates this thing out of the fear of the world. The fear of the Lord is clean. It is something that brings peace. It brings comfort. It brings a measure of security. You, you can't get that from the fear of the world. The fear of the world causes you to have no peace. Uh, it doesn't bring you any comfort, and it brings you insecurity that you think at about any moment you're in trouble and you're going to die, something bad's going to happen to you. But the fear of the Lord is clean. Now, it is tied to the fear of the Lord. Notice this, verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. By the way, the fear of the Lord lasts forever. And it says, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The fear of the Lord is tied in my life and yours to the judgments of the Word of God. Uh, it is tied to you and I recognizing that there is a great God, a mighty God. He is the Creator, 
And He is the one that has all the judgments. He has all the righteousness. He has everything. And I need to, uh, to seek those things. And by the way, it's just the Word of God. And so if I'm going to fear the Lord, then I need to know what the Bible says about it. And, and, and so it comes back, these two different fears. One brings sorrow. One of them brings peace. Now, let's go back to Proverbs 1. I want to see the characteristics that are evident when there's no fear of God. Now, we've read the text. I don't want you to seem like I'm going back and forth. I am going back and forth to it. But I, I want us to see something. What are the characteristics when a person has no fear of God? When they did not cho choose the fear of the Lord, what, what is going to be evident in their life and the evidences that they haven't chosen? If I have rejected the fear of the Lord, what's the evidence of that? If you have rejected the fear of the Lord, what is the evidence of that? And so if you're back in Proverbs 1, uh, we, we're going to read a few verses. I'm going to skip some and read some. Verse number 24, notice this. Because I have called and you refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. The, the first thing that's one of the characteristics of when I do not choose the fear of the Lord, when you do not choose the fear of the Lord, is, is when we know what God is calling us, directing us, and we refuse to do it. You, you, you know, oftentimes as, uh, as a pastor, I'm dealing with people, and decisions in their lives, and things they're doing, and, and one of the questions I will ask, I, I will say, well, do you, do you have any idea what God wants you to do? Now, that's an open-ended question. That's a broad question. Uh, that, that could be determining going from their salvation to their service and everything in between. And oftentimes somebody will say to me sometimes, well, yes, I, I really know what God wants me to do, but I, I don't want to do it. Now, now, by the way, that's an honest answer. And, and, and sometimes there's multiple reasons in that. Uh, sometimes it's not out-and-out out rebellion. Sometimes there's, by the way, uh, sometimes there is fear. Fear of, oh my, my, what God has called me to do. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, God says, now I've called you. I've stretched out my hand. I've asked you to follow me, to do something for me and with me. And you refused it. Now, now you see... If I know what God wants me to do, and I refuse to do it, I have rejected the fear of the Lord. I've rejected it. You say, know what God wants you to do in, in, in what? In anything in life. People constantly ask, well, how do I know God's will? Well, number one, we find it from the Word of God. Is there something in the Bible that God says do that you're not doing, or something not to do that you are doing? That's a simple question, by the way. Uh, if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and the Holy Spirit's done, done uh, give that to you long before the question was asked. And, and there's a great truth in that. One of the characteristics is whenever I refuse to do what I know I need to do. Verse 25, notice this. But you have said it not all of my counsel, and would none of my reproof. Now in verse 25, another characteristic whenever that you and I do not choose the fear of the Lord, is when we decide that the counsel of the Lord is wrong. And the reproof of the, of the Bible, we're, we're just not going to do it. Well, we, we have a society, and I say often, 
we live in this society, we live in this generation, so we, we sort of see it, but I have an idea this has been true in every generation to a certain extent in different things. It's, it's always been true. That we, Folks, look at the Word of God and they pick and choose what they will believe and what they will not. What they will let correct them and what they will not let correct them. One of the things that each one of us has to do, verse 25, now notice this, but you have said it not all of my counsel with none of my reproof. There, there's a two, two sides to one coin there. There is the counsel of the Lord. Let's just take the Ten Commandments, for example. Here's the counsel of the Lord. The Lord gives the Ten Commandments. And, and He starts with the first four commandments are things concerning us and God. And the last six commandments are things concerning us and our relationships to people. And that's how the Ten Commandments are divided up in those two, in, in those two ways. Now, that's the counsel of the Lord. And God says, here's what I want you to do. And He gives me those Ten Commandments. By the way, there's not hard. It's not hard to understand them. A child can understand what they are saying. So it's not like it's, it's hard. It's not like it's difficult to understand. But once I read the counsel of God, I now have a choice. I'm either going to listen to it and let it reprove me. Now, when it reproves me, that means that it says, Hey, Mike, you're wrong. You're not doing what I want you to do. Now, by the way, when I hear the reproof, how do I react? If I know I'm wrong because the Bible says I'm wrong, not because man says I'm wrong, not because some preacher says I'm wrong, but because the Word of God says I'm wrong, then how do I react to that? You see, verse 25 says, But you said it not all of my counsel would done my reproof. If I say, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not. I'm not going to do that. I know what the Bible says, but. If I ever make that statement, I find myself right then where I'm, I've, I've rejected the fear of the Lord. I don't care what I make that statement in. If I make that statement, I say, I know what God wants me to do, but. Let me give you a classic example. Something totally you wouldn't think that way. I've got a friend of mine's a preacher. And I'm going to give you a whole lot of details here. But don't you understand, he rejected the fear of the Lord one night. He's a preacher. And he had been preaching revival. He's preaching this revival. And he goes in on the Friday night of the revival. And there's a pretty packed out house. It's a small church, country church. And he gets up to preach. And right before he gets up to preach, he looks on... The right-hand side of the building, here sits a fellow that's a friend of his, and he thinks, oh no, this message that God has given me is going to, he's going to think I'm preaching this because he's sitting there. And he starts struggling with this thing. And he looks on the other side of the building, there sits another guy. And he thinks, I'm not going to preach this. Those two fellows think, are going to think, that I preach this because of them. So he said, you know what I did? No, I have no idea what you did. I didn't preach that. I preached something else. He said, now what I preached was not sinful. It was not false doctrine. It just wasn't what I knew God wanted me to preach. By the way, the very next day he had a real bad accident. And I was visiting him in the hospital. He's telling me this in the hospital. He said, you know why the accident happened? I started to answer logically. 
And before I did, he said, no. And he told me that story. And he said, while the accident was happening, I knew I wasn't going to die. I mean, it only broke both arms and a bunch of ribs and a bunch of other things to him. <laughs> and he said, I knew I was going to live. And he said, he said, I didn't hear no audible voice. But as sure as I'm laying in this hospital bed, the Holy Spirit said, Son, the next time I tell you to preach something, preach it. You know what he did? He rejected the fear of the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? He let the fear of what two men would think cause him not to do what God said do. And I have to choose the fear of the Lord oftentimes. You have to choose the fear of the Lord oftentimes also. You have to choose it in your, your home. You'll have to choose it sometimes at work. You kids will have to choose it at school. That you know what God says do, and you choose that rather than anything else. You see, I can reject the fear of the Lord preaching up here tonight. My, my. Some of these messages, I'd much rather preach on the glory of heaven than what God wants me to preach on. And I'm trying to, I'm, I'm just being honest with you. It's a lot easier to preach on the glories of heaven than it is to preach on the horrors of hell. There's great truth in that. And, and, and so each one of us in our actions have to choose the fear of the Lord. I, there's a characteristic when I decide I'm not going to do that. I have now rejected the fear of the Lord. Now skip down, you're in Proverbs 1, skip down with me, Will, to verse 30. They would none of my counsel, they despised all my reproof. Now that seems like the same thing in verse 25 except this. Now it gets a little more, just a little more stiff-necked. You, you see, one of the things that I've seen, I've noticed in, in Christianity, uh, when, when I got saved in 1977, uh, and, and I was a teenager... I had a Bible, by the way. That, word, that Bible, most every church in my knowledge in this immediate area believed that Bible was perfect because it was just like this Bible. It was a King James Bible. I don't care what denomination it was, I don't care where it was at, because none of these other things existed. I mean, the NIV had been on the market, it was put on in 1972, but it wasn't... It was largely rejected by folks in this area. And so everybody had this Bible. They had it. Then you, you, you have a flurry or a storm of different versions until tonight. And there's all kinds of excuses for those versions, but you know what the basic problem is? Not that they don't understand it. I had two grandfathers that never graduated elementary school, and they could understand it. Now, don't, don't tell me that these folks that have good high school education and college education have a hard time understanding it. They truly understand it. They just don't like what it says. That, that's the basic issue. Now, they're going to tell you they have a hard time understanding it, but that's not really true. The, the, the problem is, is they don't like what it says. So you know what they look at? They despise it. It's amazing to me how they despise it. It's an amazing thing to me. I, it, it's known, it's well known where we stand on this book. I mean, I've got it on, we've got it on our sign out there on purpose. I mean, when somebody walks in here, they, there's, we're not hiding it. We're not trying to sort of sneak it in under the covers. It's out in the open. We believe this book is the Word of God. It is amazing to me 
oftentimes, and I have to chuckle to myself when somebody will literally just get on to me over it. And I can't believe that that's all you use. And I look at them like, what's the problem? Well, it's so hard to understand. I said, I never had a problem. I haven't had a problem yet. Well, I can't believe you don't read anything else. And I say, why? And they despise the fact that I read it. Despise the fact that we use it. And it's always been an interest to me. Finally, if I can ever get them to calm down enough, I say, what's wrong with me reading it? Let's just say that you think they're both the same. They're not, but let's just say that you think they are. Why does it bother you that I read this one? I've asked that question to him, and if I can ever get him to calm down, I'll say, well, I, I don't know why I'm so mad about it. Why are you mad about it? It comes back to this. And I'm not attacking anybody with it. Don't, don't, don't leave here thinking it's what I'm saying. When I, get this, when I despise the Word of God, I've got a problem. When I despise the counsel of what the Word of God says, and I want to... And I, I just don't like it. I want to change it. That's what's going on now with this transgender thing. It is amazing to me how many people claim to be speaking for the Lord and say God would not be against it. That's, the Bible is very clearly against it. But they despise the counsel of the Word of God. And I, I can take that with a lot of subjects tonight. Now then, so I've said a characteristic. I've spent more time in that than I wanted to. Uh, and uh, that's probably my fault, but uh, we spent more time in that. So here's what we do. We, we, what is the characteristic of not choosing the fear of the Lord? Well, it is that I despise the counsel, and I refuse to listen to the Word of God. Now, by the way, just on a personal basis with my own self and yourself, I'm constantly trying to encourage people to read their Bible. If I choose not to read my Bible, why? I mean, we read all kinds of things every day. Most of us do. We live in a very technological age, and people read all kinds of things. They've got their social media things and spend hours reading all kinds of things people write. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying we just spend time reading it. We spend time reading and watching and listening and all kinds of things, and then we say, well, I just didn't have time to read my Bible. No, I chose not to read it. You see, if I don't read my Bible like I need to read my Bible, then it's because I chose to do something else generally. Now, I'm not saying what I was doing is necessarily sin. I'm not saying what you're doing is necessarily sin. I'm saying I chose not to read it. And if I'm going to choose the fear of the Lord, I have got to choose a time that I give myself to this book. Because I am not going to know what God wants me to do if I don't read this book. If I'm reading what somebody else says, it may not be what this says. And I need to read it so I know what God says. You need to read it so you know what God says. I mean, I'm constantly encouraging people, if all you ever hear from the Bible is what you hear when I preach and read it, you're not getting much because you're only getting a few hours a day and you're only getting a few verses a, day, a week. Honestly. But if you're reading it for yourself every day, then you are choosing the Word of God and you're not despising it, and you're letting that guide you. And that, by the way, is the fear of the Lord. And, and so I, I, we, we've got to choose the fear of the Lord. Now here we are in Proverbs 1-7. Go back to that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So I have to come to a point 
then I choose, I choose the fear of the Lord. Now let me break this down in, 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 in three things and I'm done tonight. Number one is salvation. Now open your Bible to John chapter 3. I want to show you what I mean by that. The very first thing that any of us have to choose the fear of the Lord is, is the salvation. God doesn't want you and I living in quaking fear of Him. No more than a parent wants their children to live in quaking fear of them. If your relationship is right between parents and children, then parents honor their children. And by the way, they are afraid if I break the rules that there's going to be a punishment, there's going to be judgment. And that's the way God wants it between you and I. But there's a fear that what God says is right. Number one's in salvation. I'm going to start in John chapter 3, and I want to show you a man that had fear of God. John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Now right on the surface, when you read those two verses, you're looking at it, and you say, how do you know this man has a fear of God? Well, I'm told in the text several things. Number one, go back and it says, there was a man of the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees was a religious sect. Uh, they were very dogmatic. Uh, we might be called dogmatic at times, but they were very dogmatic in their faith that there is a creator God and that the Bible is the word of God and they were very, very steadfast in that belief. Now here's a man that is a religious man. Uh, he is a Pharisee. He studies the word of God. As a matter of fact, since he's a Pharisee, I know he's in a member of the Sanhedrin. He wore a long robe. He would have what we would call fringes, but they were a little longer than that. Philacrates all over his robe. And in those philacrates would be scripture that he had written out and he had tied in there. This is a very religious man. Most Pharisees hated Jesus. But he comes to Jesus. Nicodemus has a fear of God. And he's a ruler of the Jews. He is a religious man. He could probably tell you, quote, large portions of the Old Testament. He was very acquainted with the law. These Pharisees thought there were 618 laws. Part of them are things you should do, things you shouldn't do. All taken, by the way, there are 618 commandments given in the Old Testament. He could probably name you most of them, if not all of them. But he had a fear of God. You say, how do you know he had a fear of God? Verse 2. The same came to Jesus by night. Now, I don't think he came by night because he was trying to hide. I think he came by night because this man's in trouble. He knows he's in trouble. And he's at the urgency of the matter. And he comes to him by night. And notice how he addresses Jesus. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi... We know that there are a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. He does not come attacking Christ. He comes saying, I know God sent you. He calls him rabbi, which is not necessarily a, a position, but it's a, a position of, of, of authority. It's a position of knowledge and, and someone that is a teacher. And so he comes to him and he says, I know... God sent you. 
What are you saying? He's got a fear of God. He knows that Jesus is sent from God and by God. And he doesn't, at this point, he's trying to grasp who Jesus is, but he knows God sent him. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus says to him in verse number 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He says, right off the bat, Jesus deals with Nicodemus' problem. What is Nicodemus' problem? He's religious and lost. He's very religious and on his way to hell. He's very religious and knows a lot about the Word of God. Uh, he's looking for the Messiah, but he's lost. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, ye must be born again. By the way, Nicodemus is very honest. He doesn't understand that. Verse 4, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he the second time in his mother's womb be born? Nicodemus says, I really don't understand that. I really don't understand that. I understand the first birth, which is the physical birth from my mother's womb. But I cannot enter into there and be reborn. I, can't, I, don't, I don't really grasp that. There's two births in verse 3. There's two births in verse 4. Verse 5, Jesus begins to answer. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except man be born of water and of the Spirit, he can enter the kingdom of God. Now he gives the two births. The physical birth from the womb is with water. If you've ever been to ground any kind of birth, you know that there is the breaking of the water and there's water. And that born of water, that's not talking about baptism. It's not even remotely connected to that. It is making reference to the first birth. Matter of fact, it is first in this sentence. And so that which is born of the water, he says, Nicodemus, you've got to be born physically. And then, but that's of water. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's a spiritual birth. And in verse 6, he doubles down on that. And, and that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's the water. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's being born again. And verse 7, he says, Marvel not that I say unto you, must be born again. Now, if I fear God, if I fear God, it starts with salvation. I must recognize that I cannot get to heaven unless I've been reborn. I must recognize my family can't get to heaven unless they've been reborn. I must recognize my friends cannot get to heaven unless they've been reborn. If I fear God, it is the beginning of knowledge that salvation is not of works, but it's by grace through faith through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Nicodemus was trying to... He had a fear of God. By the way, you say, how do you know Nicodemus... How do you know this worked? Well, if we went all the way to the end of the Gospel of John, whenever Jesus was crucified, and uh, you, you find that... Joseph of Marathia come and begged his body. Nicodemus helped him. By the way, he put himself in a bad position as far as the world is concerned when he helped. Because he's seen, he seen who Jesus was. You see, the first thing that happens if I'm going to fear God is I must recognize I have no hope of salvation outside of Christ and I am born again. We have a lot of people who despise that. We have a lot of people say, oh no, you don't have to be born. Just, you just got to believe it. It really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere in your belief. This man was very sincere in his belief. He was a Pharisee. He is very sincere in what he believes. He is sincerely wrong. And when he meets Jesus, Jesus deals with him 
with the Word of God and with the spiritual fact that you must be born again. And I, for one, think Nicodemus trusted it because he chose the fear of God. At some point in time in your life, you're going to have to choose whether you trust Christ or trust yourself. And you must be born again. Number two, not only must is that choosing the fear of God and salvation, and I touched on this already, but I must choose the fear of God in Scripture. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, go to uh, 2, Timothy chapter, uh, 2 Timothy chapter number uh, 3 for me, just a minute, and we'll show you something. 2 Timothy 3. In 2 Timothy 3, we're going to look at something about Scripture. And I've done said some stuff. I'm going to take it a little different angle. 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want you to see something about Scripture. If, I, if I'm choosing the fear of the Lord, I'm choosing salvation, and I'm choosing Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished in all good works. If I am choosing the fear of God in Scripture, I am choosing that this guides my life. It really doesn't matter what I think. I, I remember as a teenager when I got saved, and, and, and I began to read the Bible. Now, my, my dad and mom were not Christians at the time, and Trevor and I were not necessarily raised in church. We wasn't raised opposed to it. We just My parents wasn't saved. They didn't know we wasn't raised in church. But I remember again to read the Bible, and all of a sudden I began to say, now hold on a minute, the world says this, but the Bible says this. And I had to make up my mind, is this inspired by God? Is this God's Word? If it is God's Word, notice what it says in verse 16, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. That means God breathed it, God gave it. Now what's it profitable for? And it's profitable, number one, for doctrine. Number two, for reproof. Number three, for correction. And number four, for instruction in righteousness. Now, now, those are four things that this is profitable for. Am I letting the Bible guide my doctrine? Well, doctrine is very important. That's what we believe. Am I letting the Bible not only guide my doctrine, uh, is it... Am I letting it reprove me? Oh, I could stand here tonight and tell you a lot of things that the Bible began to reprove me about. Does it reprove you? Do you let the Bible reprove you? There's a lot of things that it corrected me about, still does. It provides instruction. You know how I choose the fear of God? Number one, by just thinking this book is what I need to tell Mike how to live. Not necessarily telling you how to live, telling me how to live. Number three, and I'm done. Not only am I choosing the fear of God and I'm choosing salvation in Scripture, in my sanctification. You say, what do you mean by that? Go, go to Romans chapter 12. I want to give you another very familiar passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and, and verse 1 and 2, very familiar passage of Scripture. It's a passage of Scripture that probably some of you have, could quote for me tonight if I ask you to quote it. But I want you to notice what Paul says. Now, he's chosen the fear of the Lord. He's chosen salvation. He's chosen the Scripture. But now he's choosing something, sanctification or service. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. Now, notice this. If I choose the fear of God, then I come to God and I say, God, here I am. 
am. And by the way, that's a, that's a huge choice. I, I remember being challenged to do that as a teenager. I, I, I said this from the pulpit before here. Sometime when I was in high school, I heard a man preach. And he, and he, he used this passage of Scripture and he says, you ought to present your body a living sacrifice unto God. Sometimes people say, well, I'll die for God. God don't want you to die for Him. That may come to that someday. God wants you to live for Him. He wants you to give your, yourself a living sacrifice for Him. I ought to be willing to die for the thing, but that's really not what God's after. God wants me to live for Him. And I heard a man say this, and I've illustrated this before, so it's not new. He took a piece of paper, and he had a blank piece of paper. And he took a piece of paper and he said, here's what you ought to do. You ought to sign your name to the bottom of this paper. And when you sign your name to the bottom of it, then you ought to bring it to the altar and you ought to lay it on the altar and you ought to say, here's my life. What do you want me to do? It's great truth. I remember listening to that and thinking about that. It's my reasonable service. It's reasonable. That's what it says. And, and it, it, because Jesus died for me and paid for all my sin, I have a home in heaven. It's reasonable. So I remember signing my name. I remember going to an altar. And by the way, it didn't affect me like it affected Colt. But I remember going and laying out an altar. And to my... Surprise, nothing really happened. I'm a young man. I'm a teenager. As I got a little older, one day the Holy Spirit said, Am I really, are you really mine? He said, what do you mean by that? I was an adult now. I was grown. I was out of school. Elizabeth and I were dating. The Holy Spirit's like, did you really mean that when you laid that on the altar? Do you fear me? Well, yes, Lord, I fear you. Well, do you want to do what I want you to do? Well, Lord, I'm pretty happy being a contractor, and I'm really happy farming, and I can mesh those two things together, and I'll be at church every time the doors are open. I, I teach in Sunday school every that time. I don't care to teach Sunday school. I'll take up the offering. Lord, I'll clean the toilets. I'll do whatever Brother White needs, I will do. And the Holy Spirit's like, well, I want you to preach. And I'm like, Lord, nobody wants to hear me. You all are in tune to that tonight. And I said, no. And I wasn't going to choose that. And for a little while, I refused to choose the fear of the Lord because it was not Mike's plan for my life. It wasn't my plan. I had my life pretty well figured out. The only part of my plan that God left intact was marrying Elizabeth. <laughs> Everything else, He didn't leave intact. But when I finally surrendered to it, and by the way, I, when I say finally, it was exactly one week from the time God dealt with me till I decided I can't run no more. And really, I thought, I'll surrender to preach, I'll preach one time, and God said, that's enough, shut up. I mean, Y'all think I'm kidding, I'm not kidding. 
But I remember asking myself, do I really fear God? I made a vow to God. I signed a piece of paper and said, Lord, you just fill in whatever you want above that. I'll do whatever you say me to do. I'll do that. It's reasonable. And three or four years later, the Lord said, you mean that? Yes, sir. And I want you to preach. No, sir. Y'all act like you never do those kind of things. The truth of the matter is, I had to make up my mind, do I really fear God? Yes, I do. And so as an 18-year-old young man, I went to the, back to the altar and said, God, I do fear you. Here's another blank piece of paper. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. And by the way, if you choose the fear of God, it is your reasonable service. You'll do what He asks you to do. You'll, do you'll, you'll know it because you know what the Scripture says. You'll know it because you're saved. And it's not a quaking fear like the fear of the world is. But it's a fear of, I know who God is. He is the one that blesses me or the one that doesn't bless me. He is the one that has a will and a plan for my life that's better than my plan. And I just trust Him. So tonight, have you chosen the fear of the Lord? You chose it in salvation. Have you chosen to let the Scripture guide your life? Have you chosen it in giving your life to Him? Some of you tonight, some of you adults tonight, and certainly you kids ought to get a blank piece of paper and come to the altar and say, here it is, God. You say, I do not want to preach. He didn't call everybody that did that to preach. As a matter of fact, there was a, about 50 of us teenagers in that message, and I was the only one that got called to preach. He doesn't call everyone to preach. He does call you to serve Him. I don't know what that means for anybody except me. I don't presume to know what that means for you. I just know this. That when I choose the fear of the Lord, I choose Him in salvation. I choose the Scripture to guide me in that salvation. And I choose His service to do whatever he leads me through this book. And if I don't choose the fear of the Lord, and I do it Mike's way, then Proverbs 1, the last part of the book begin, chapter begins to happen to me. When my fear comes, God says, You like to drive without me? Keep driving. I need you now, God. You didn't need me back a few days ago. Why do you need me now? And if I don't choose the fear of the Lord, my calamity will come and fear will come. And God will say, you rejected me. You handle it. So I thought he's a merciful God. He is. He's a gracious God. But I also reap what I sow. And in Proverbs 1, they did not choose him. And the question that is, are you choosing the fear of God, you ought to be. I ought to be. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I appreciate you being here. I've tried tonight to give you something God burdened my heart with and <laughs> reburdened me again. And the truth.